Take that home with you, ladies. You have a living word alive in you, speaking to you every day. Why don't we go ahead and have a seat? What a great time of worship, just focused on Jesus, who is going to be the focus, and hopefully is the focus of every time you come together with a group of believers. We are so glad that you're a part of a Bible study. This might be your first night tonight, or maybe you've been a part of it for a while. We're just, we're just glad to have you with us. You know, as a ministry, I know some of you are still just even getting to know us, but our heart is really just to come alongside the church and to cheer the church on to love the Word of God and to just establish her steps, her daily life steps in the truths of God's Word. And, and a Bible study is just one of the ways that, that we do that. We know that a lot of churches in the summertime uh, kind of take a break from their Bible study programming and small groups and things like that where you're getting in the Word together. And so we take that opportunity as a parachurch ministry who really just focuses on the big church, you know, all the churches in, in this area to just pour into the church and just give you an opportunity to just get poured into with the word and and to just come and be blessed and let the holy spirit pour out on you so that you can go back in the fall when your programs start up again and you can have something to pour back out and that you can be excited about the word of god and take that excitement back to to your body of believers it's very easy for any church to get off track from that and, and, I mean, it happens all throughout the Word of God. God's people were constantly veering away from the Word. And so he just, he puts people in place to just be cheerleaders for his Word. He does that all over the place. And, and we're one of those cheerleaders. And so we, we love doing that. We love building up the church. And so that's, that's why we're here. And we know that some of you have come as uh, groups of women together from your churches and, and we love that too and, and we want you to know that as a ministry we want to be a resource for your women's ministry and 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 we believe god's put us in a place to to do that not because we know more or we figured it out but just because god's you know called us to do that in a full-time way and a lot of churches I mean, let's face it, most churches do not have a full-time women's minister on staff. I mean, very few churches do. And even if you have a women's ministry leader in your church, a lot of times she's a volunteer with a full-time job and has a family and all these things. So her time is limited, and your church might have limited resources for that. And so that's why in this area, we put together events for women's ministries so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can come and you can just be a part and join together with with body of believers from all over the place and, and do women's ministry together. So we just want you to know our heart is to be a hub for those kinds of things. And we just have resources and events like this. And, uh, you know, the fall Bible getaway, I think there's still some spots left for that. We'd love to have some of you come along uh, with us on that. Um, Just different things that we have going on. The group two girls in in, in January that's going to be starting. And so just things that you can resource. We want you to know that they're there. And we would love to to minister to you as, as groups and as individuals. But I could talk about that all day. I'm very passionate about what we do and what the Lord allows us to spend our full-time time doing, but we've got a chapter to study tonight, and so that's why we're really here, and we're going we're gonna to jump right into that, Isaiah 61. So if you don't already have your Bibles open to Isaiah 61, go ahead and do that. It's an amazing chapter. Personally, I have long loved parts of this chapter and just clung to them, and I know that many of you have. There's lots of ways to look at and study this chapter. I love hearing all those pages. You know, I know a lot of us have our Bibles on our phone, but I still, I'm old school. I like those pages turning. It's beautiful sound to me. But there's a lot of ways to look at Isaiah 61. You know, this was a prophecy. We're going to talk about this some that, that was written directly to a group of people. But prophetic words have all different kinds of purposes from the Lord. God does a lot of things. God can, can multitask really well. And so there's a lot of ways to look at, at this chapter and to study it. And I would encourage you to do that in a myriad of ways. But tonight, I believe that the Lord wants to show us is that this chapter is just full up to the brim of pictures of the fullness and the life of God. It was like God wanted us to see all that he had in mind when he sent Christ to earth to be our savior. And so he really just pulled out all the stops and showed us in Isaiah 61 to describe it for us. Now, I don't know if you've ever had someone try to describe something to you that was kind of hard to picture, but then when they showed you a picture, you were able to see it better. 
Uh, some of you may be aware our Haiti team that was in Haiti last week is home now and they finished building a bridge. This is the bridge that they built last week while they were there. Uh, drastically, I know it's incredible, drastically will change the lives of like 10,000 people for generation after generation. These bridges are built to last 50 years. And my husband told me, you just cannot imagine the excitement. But until I saw this picture, even though he was describing it to me, and I've seen these bridges, but this one looks even different than some of the others, you just don't register. And sometimes we just need to be able to really see a picture, right? And and I know in today, in in our digital age, I mean, sometimes we can share a picture faster than we can think, right? (laughs) I mean, you're in the store and you're trying to show your friend something and tell her about it. You're like, oh, I'll just text you. Hang on. And you send it to her and boom, she's, oh, okay, she's got it. Now, when they were in Haiti, I mean, they were in remote. I mean, really remote. (laughs) Oh, my. And so they didn't have any internet. So I had to wait till he got home, really, to be able to see this picture. But it really helped me. Now, I remember having to buy film. Some of you don't even know what that is. But doing any of you remember this? Okay. And, the, and that film, I never could load that thing in the camera right. <laughs> All right. And then when you got your pictures taken and, and you were very careful because the film only had 24, maybe 36 if you splurged, you know, and, but you did not take more than one or two pictures of the same thing. Today we'll take a hundred because you're not paying for any of that. But you, you girls that don't know about that, you, you need to understand how expensive it used to be to take pictures. And then you couldn't just go through and go, oh, which one do I like, like the best? You know what you had to do? These things. Does anybody remember? And you would hold them up to the light and you would be like, oh, their arm is doing that in this one and not in that one. Yeah, that's the one we want. And you would go to the store, have to get it printed, go back, hopefully get double prints so you could keep one and you could share it. Does anybody remember doing all that stuff? Yes. I mean, we have come such a long way. And I know some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's okay because that's not relative to your generation, right? But I was able to go even further back than my generation with this whole photography thing, uh, compliments of Google, and I found out that the very first picture ever taken was taken by a man named Joseph Niepce, and here is a slide of the picture that he took. Now, you might say, what is that? (laughs) And I did too. I was like, that doesn't look like a very good picture. Now, I know we need to give him a little grace. It was the first picture ever taken. But what he was taking a picture of was actually this beautiful field. But we wouldn't have known that from this picture. Now, you might be also wondering, what in the world does this have to do with Isaiah 61? It has something to do. Hang with me, and I'm going to tell you in just a minute. But first, I want to show you another picture. Do you know what this is? This is the very first selfie ever taken. (laughs) Also, compliments of, of Google. This is a man named Robert Cornelius, and he took this selfie in 1839. Now, he did not have the luxury that we have of taking the selfie over and over again to get the right look that we want. Sometimes we never do. But actually, I think he got it pretty good on on the first try, don't you? I mean, you know, really. But have you ever taken a selfie... And you have an idea of what it's going to look like in your mind. And then you look at it, you're like, that that's what I look like. And so what do you do? You, you take it again. <laughs> see, because what we're thinking we're going to see in our mind is not what actually renders in that picture. And, and you all know what I mean. Why was it that Nieps, when he took that very first picture, he, didn't, he wasn't able to show us what he was really seeing? Well, it was because the equipment that he had was not capable of rendering that image yet. I mean, he was just starting. You know, we got to have a little bit of grace for him. But why don't our selfies sometimes not turn out the way that we think that they're going to? I hate to say it, but sometimes it's because we just don't have the equipment that we want, you know? I mean, it's just what I, well, the way it is. It's like we think we look a certain way, and then we take it, and we're like, oh, my. <laughs> I, I just really, I didn't, I didn't know that. Now, here's what this all has to do. Here's what all this has to do with Isaiah 61. As we are in Christ, God has such rich and full of life images just flowing through his mind. And God can just see them so clearly. And he wrote Isaiah 61 to show us those things. And he can see them clearly. But just because God can see them clearly does not mean that we always see them clearly. They're not always rendered clearly in our minds. Now, why is that? It might be that we don't have spiritual eyes to see. We're missing some of the equipment, okay? 
Maybe we've never accepted Jesus or, or we're not learning and growing. And so, so that, that equipment is just, it's just not even there or it's not working right. It might be that our mind has gotten just filled up with, filled up with all this other gunk. And so the equipment is just malfunctioning. So we don't see what it is that God is trying to show us. Even though God can see it clearly, we're not seeing it. Or maybe our hearts are broken. And so really the equipment, because God speaks through our hearts, it's, it's just not going to render the picture right. I hope you're following me with, with, with this idea here. Isaiah 61 is full of, of images in the mind of God that he wants us to see clearly. And my prayer for tonight has been, and as our team has been praying and just pouring over this chapter, praying for all of you that were going to be here and, and anybody that will listen to this even in later, is that these images, maybe if they've not rendered clearly to us before, that tonight they will. That God's going to begin to show us these images in new ways as his spirit is here and working. And Jesus is the living word among us and, and is going to bring these pictures to life for us. And I, and I want you to know as we get ready to look at these pictures, these are not like a hundred pictures from your friend's trip to Wyoming that she wants you to sit down and look at her, look at them with her, you know, and you're going, sure, I'll look at your pictures from Wyoming, you know, I mean, and maybe Wyoming to you is like a great place to go. I, I don't really know. I've never been there. But, but what's, the, what's the problem with that? Usually it's that you're not in any of the pictures. You weren't there. You don't relate to any of that, right? You're like, Wyoming never really wanted to go. Um, and, and so you don't relate to that. But see, here with Isaiah 61, you should relate because you're supposed to be in all these pictures. And God wants you to see yourself in these pictures. And so we're praying tonight, and I want to pray right now that the Lord is going to render these pictures correctly to us and clearly as we talk through them and he shows them to us. Father God, we thank you for being amongst us tonight. You are the living word. And Jesus, we're asking tonight, God, that our equipment would work the way you want it to so that we will see that you will be able to render to us what these pictures really are, that this would be a living word tonight to us, Lord. Give us, use the revelation that you can impart to us, Lord. Give us that imagination in our mind to see, God, like you're standing right in front of us and just pulling picture after another and just showing us these things. Lord, we just pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So let's look at the first picture. Isaiah 61, 1. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, let me just help you to see this first picture by explaining who it is that is talking. See, God used Isaiah to write this. He was the prophet that wrote it, but this is not Isaiah talking. This is actually Jesus talking here. This is a messianic prophecy, a Messiah prophecy, and Jesus is speaking here through the the writing of Isaiah, and he's speaking in the first person, and Jesus says, the Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to Uh, to bring good news. And we're going to get onto that part in a minute. But first, this whole idea of anointing. What is this picture? Jesus being anointed by the Spirit of God. Now, I actually tried to find a picture of that. And and I'll let you know, they're out there, okay? But they kind of all have this uh, aura around them that's kind of like, you know what I mean? Have you seen those kinds of pictures? You know, they're real cheesy looking, kind of religious. It's like, I don't really connect with that at all. That's kind of like in another world for me. I, if you look up some of these pictures, I tried to look up a lot of these and it's like, I, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> and so the Lord just began to impress on me. Look, I am a master painter <laughs> and I want to render these pictures in the heart and the mind of my people. Don't try to show them with their eyes. I want them to see with spiritual eyes as they listen to my word and I describe for them through my word what it is I want them to see. So you're going to have to really engage your mind to look at these pictures. And there's a lot of them in here that we're going to look at tonight. So this picture is, is Jesus, the eternal Jesus. He's still in heaven. He's not come to earth yet to be born as a baby. And the spirit of God is upon him. Picture that in your mind. It's anointing him. Now, what does it mean to be anointed? Basically, it means to just pour out on or rub into or or smear all over, okay? In in the Old Testament, when somebody was anointed for service to the Lord, they literally had oil poured all over them. And it was a transferring of the power of God onto this person's life so that they could be effective in their service to the Lord. 
Paul wrote something about Jesus after Jesus had come to earth and died, resurrected, gone back to heaven. This is what Paul wrote in Acts 10, 38. He says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See, Jesus had the power of Almighty God all over him because he was anointed by God. And we're going to find that this anointing of the Lord is so provisionary. It's so wide and it's so deep for us. So can you see that first picture? Jesus is being anointed by the Spirit of God. Now, what was it that he was anointed to do? Let's, let's keep reading. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. There's several pictures right in here. And hopefully now you're going to start to see yourselves in some of these pictures. First picture, he was anointed by God to bring good news to the afflicted. Maybe you remember Bible stories of Jesus going around in, in, in the earth, um, in, in that area, bringing salvation to people who were poor and weak and needy. That's what it means to be afflicted, poor, weak, and needy. But see, that's not just for people in Bible times, because that describes every one of us. I don't know if you've ever tried to tag yourself on Facebook in a, in a picture where there's a whole bunch of people and you're just like looking for the pinhead that you are, you know, to find yourself. And, and that's the way this kind of looks, okay? I mean, the whole earth, every person is poor and weak and needy. But we should be able to see ourselves in this picture somewhere because Jesus has come to us to bring good news. And remember, earlier I said that his anointing is wide and, and very provisionary. There's another scripture in Isaiah 11, chapter 2, that tells us about this anointing. And it tells us that his anointing gave him wisdom, it gave him counsel, it gave him understanding, strength, it gave him knowledge, it gave him the fear of the Lord. And so Jesus comes with all of these things that God has just put all over him, anointed him with to come and deal with our affliction of sin, any place that we're poor and we're weak and we're needy to bring salvation. But see, his anointing is so wide in these ways. He's got the counsel and the strength and the, and the understanding and the wisdom to literally open up the windows of heaven to us and let God just pour out on us right now. It doesn't just happen in heaven, it happens now. So if you can think of each one of these pictures that we're going to be looking at tonight as building on the other. Let me show you what I mean by that. When we're afflicted by sin, maybe it's our own sin that we're afflicted because of our sin. Or maybe we're afflicted in sin because of what somebody else has done and their sin has trickled down into us. Probably our afflictions are a combination of both of those things. Most of us just don't like to think of it that way. It's always somebody else's issue, right? But it's, it's really usually a combination. But when that happens, a lot of times we end up with a broken heart. Well, what does the next picture say? It tells us that he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And maybe you recognize yourself in that picture for sure. You're like, oh yeah, I'm in that picture. <laughs> there I am, <laughs> always with a broken heart. And I can tell you, I've been there many times with a broken heart. I will tell you right now, I have a broken heart about some things going on in my life. I'm in that picture. I see myself in that picture with a broken heart. The word for broken heart here is an intense word. It actually means to have your heart crushed, to have your heart wrecked, that your heart is crippled. And Jesus is coming to bind up that heart. And that's what sin does to our hearts. It wrecks our hearts. And, and when you're in that place, and you know what I mean if you've been there, if you've ever been in this picture of having a broken heart, you just want some relief, right? <laughs> you just want somebody to make the pain go away, to, to change it somehow, to give me some relief for a minute. And this picture of Jesus binding up my broken heart means so much to me because you know what it lets me know? It lets me know that I am not going through this broken heart by myself. Jesus has stepped into the picture of my broken heart. Now, I'll be transparent with you. A lot of times when my heart is broken, it's not Jesus that I'm trying to put in the picture. I'm walking around going, 
you can heal my broken heart. Here, take your picture with me because I know you've got something you're going to be able to help me with. You know, maybe it's my spouse, maybe it's my friend, whatever. I'm going to get my heart healed because you're going to help me. You know, we reach out to people all the time. You know what? People can help us, but people can't heal our broken heart. (laughs) Jesus is in this picture with you. So if your heart is broken, you need to know that this is not a picture of you by yourself. Or a picture that you're trying to put somebody else in the picture to fix your heart. Or you still got a space, like sitting beside you in the chair in this picture thinking, one day God's going to send my prince and he's going to heal my broken heart. He already did send him. His name is Jesus. And he's here to heal our broken hearts. This is in the heart of God. This is what he wants to do in our lives. Now, there's another image in verse 1. I told you there's lots of them. It says, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to to prisoners. Now, this is really interesting. Last night in our prayer time, uh, as we gathered and we were praying over this chapter and over our time together tonight, one of our prayer leaders was praying about the difference between the words being a captive and being a prisoner. And it just really struck me in a new way. And I've been thinking about that all day today. And I, I realized she said something. She said, you know, a lot of times we get captivated by something and then we end up being captive to it. Would you reveal those things that we're captivated by that then we end up being captive to? And then before we know it, we're a prisoner in that thing. There's so many things in the world. I won't go into all of the things that can captivate our hearts. And we think they're going to be so good. But before long, they're controlling us. And we've become a captive to those things. And then before long, it could even be that we are a prisoner. But see, this is a proclaiming. If you can picture this in your mind, this is a proclaiming. Jesus is coming and he's proclaiming. That's what this, when it says proclaiming, it means a calling out. And the word freedom here, it literally means an opening of the eyes. An opening of the eyes to be able to see beyond that place where you're either captive or you are a prisoner. And God anointed Jesus. When, when the Spirit came upon him, it was just so he could come here and call out freedom to us. So picture this in your mind. Here comes Jesus to wherever you are in captivity. Wherever you might be imprisoned. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's, you know, despair. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's an addiction of some kind. Whatever your prison or your captivity looks like, Jesus is coming around the corner. If you can just picture this in your mind, and he starts calling out, freedom! That's what this picture is. But then there comes another picture that helps us to hear what it is he actually says. Verse 2, it says, To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. See, this is Jesus just calling out as loud as he can. Now is the time. This is the time where God is going to delight to just bless you. This is the time when God is going to show his vengeance and say, enough, enough. I'm sending my son to wage war on these things that have held you up and bound you up. I'm calling out to everyone who mourns what sin has done. Do you see this in your mind? Do you see Jesus? Can you hear him? This could be like an audible picture for you. And see, what happens is when prisoners start hearing that call of freedom, you know what happens to their eyes? They come open because that's what this means. This freedom is an opening of the eyes. And people begin to say, "You, you mean I don't have to live like this for the rest of my life? You mean I don't have to feel like this anymore? You mean, I don't have to be stuck doing this thing that I don't want to do, that I'm ashamed of, that I won't tell anybody about, and I try to, you mean, I don't have to, oh my goodness. And this freedom idea begins to resonate, and we begin to see all of these things, and with eyes wide open, you realize freedom is really possible for someone like me. It's not just in all the stories that everybody else gets to tell. I can have a story of freedom too, because I hear Jesus calling freedom and calling my name. And it's because God has come to grant all these good things to people who are bearing the sadness of sin, all those who mourn. So verse 3, he says, to grant those who mourn in Zion. To grant those who mourn in Zion. And we're going to find these pictures that follow, he's going to grant a lot. (laughs) And I want you to know, we're going to flip through them quick. I am certainly not going to show you everything about every picture. But if you're like me, when, when I'm looking at pictures, I like to study them. Now I like to, on my iPad, I like to zoom way in <laughs> so I can see, you know, people's expressions and all this. I, I want to study the picture. 
And I encourage you, long after we're done, to come back to this photo album and look at these pictures over and over and over again and let God show you the details of these pictures because we don't have time to get into every piece of that tonight. But I'm just going to show you some of the things God's been showing me and trust that the Spirit is going to give you these pictures in your own mind tonight too. So read with, in verse 3 with me, continuing. We're going to see some more pictures. It says, To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. See, I believe that each of these three pictures really relate back to three of the pictures that we saw in verse 1. I'll show you what I mean. They're kind of tandem pictures here. For instance, giving them a garland instead of ashes. That's a really uh, probably the most popular phrase out of, out of this chapter, and, and it is beautiful, but let's look at this. Can you see this picture in your mind? Jesus putting a garland like a crown of flowers on someone's head hopefully you can see he's putting it on your head why the ashes though well remember back in verse one where jesus was bringing good news to those who are afflicted in sin see when people are sin what happens when there's sin there is death right and what happens when there's death well in bible times they put on sackcloth and they put ashes all over their heads (laughs) And so here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a garland instead of those ashes. Ashes. The picture is Jesus saying no to death and yes to life. I love this picture. I love it when Jesus renders it in my mind so clearly. And I see him literally just brushing the ashes off my forehead. And and I see them falling. And I can feel that, that garland coming on my head because Jesus is saying, you do not have to die. He's whispering in my ear. Do you see this in your mind? Whispering to you saying, you do not have to die. I want you to dance in life. I want you to be merry. I want you to enjoy. This is in the heart of God when he sent Jesus to die for us. He wants to brush away all that death and put life on our heads. And what about this? It says the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Remember the picture in verse one of Jesus binding up the brokenhearted? Well, when you're brokenhearted, there's no joy usually. There's no celebration. Now, oil in Bible times was used to bandage wounds. And so this definitely is related here. Jesus puts that oil to bandage up the broken heart. But oil was also used in Bible times to prepare for a celebration. And so this is Jesus. This picture is Jesus saying no to mourning and sadness and yes to joy. Now, I, I personally love this picture And I've seen myself in this picture again and again because, yes, my heart is literally broken over some things going on. But I can tell you I have joy. And even just today, I've been asking the Lord, what is it, God? What is it that that allows me to have joy even while I have a broken heart? And he spoke to me. He said, it's my presence. It's my presence. And remember what I said? It's when Jesus is in the picture with us with a broken heart. Because what does the Bible tell us? In his presence is fullness of joy. So if Jesus is there, you know, mending the heart, it doesn't mean that everything's going to necessarily get fixed in that moment, but he's taking care of your heart and you can have joy because he's right there with you. And his presence brings joy. And we can't even always explain why we have joy, but we do because he binds up the broken heart and he gives us joy instead Instead of the gladness, we don't have to have the mourning all the time. Doesn't mean your heart's not broken. Doesn't mean you don't see the situation for what it is, but you can have joy in the Lord and in his presence. And what about, it says here, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Remember the picture of Jesus proclaiming liberty to captives? Well, when people are in prison, how easy is it to give up? I have a friend who's in prison. He's been there about a year now. He's got four more to go. And I remember last year about this time, one of the nights of our Bible study, we literally went with him to court. He got sentenced, and then I came here and taught. And sometimes I'll think about him, and I pray for him, and I think, oh, gosh, I want to give up for him because my heart just breaks over what sin has done in his life. And yet he's seeking the Lord, and and God's giving him joy and all these things. But see, God has put on him this mantle of praise even while he's in jail, and he's not giving up. Because he's learned how to praise the Lord as as the Lord 
does these things and these pictures come alive to him even as he's in prison. A mantle was a garment, just like we have a dress or a blouse. And so this is like Jesus coming into the prison and saying, I got a different change of clothes for you. You don't have to wear that spirit of fainting where you're just always like, and we know that, right? We know people that everything about them is like, how about, you know, Jesus, everything's not fixed, but I've got praise in my life. Because, because Jesus is working. I have a Savior. I walk in truth of, of who he is. You don't have to give up. We have a rescuer. There are all kinds of things to live for now. Look at this last picture of verse 3 with me. It says, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. See, God is sending Jesus to do all these things so people can have lives that are strong and beautiful. And so these lives can glorify him. That's what this is all about. It's all about glorifying Jesus. Have you ever seen a place where there's just like oak tree after oak tree after oak tree? I mean, gorgeous. Through all the seasons, just gorgeous. Picture that in your mind. That's supposed to be us, ladies. Just waving our hands in praise to the Lord. Now, we're going to actually pull this picture out of the stack right now. And I want you to set it to the side. And we're going to look at it again in a few minutes. So just remember that one. But let's keep reading because there's a lot more images here. Verse 4, it says, Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. And they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Now, there's a lot of imagery. I'm sure already your mind is just kind of pinging with with pictures in your mind. if If you're tracking with me here. Because I immediately, when I read that, I think of you know, like a place that's kind of been devastated by maybe a storm or, or war pictures that maybe we see in another place. And so people come back in and they start, you know, nailing things back together and digging through the rubble. I mean, is that the kind of thing that you're seeing as you read that? Because it's a picture of rebuilding and repairing. But here's the thing. I think the Lord wants us to look at this a little bit differently. I think he wants us to render this more personally, to see ourselves in these pictures. See, who are the they Because it says that. Then they will rebuild. They will raise up. They will repair. Who are the they? They are the afflicted. They are the brokenhearted. They are the prisoners whose Jesus has been proclaiming life to. And they say, yes, I want everything you have to give me. They are us. When we say, Jesus, I want to be in these pictures. I want you to be in my pictures, Jesus. And see, as Jesus comes into our lives and he works in these ways that we've seen in these first pictures, the first few verses, you know what begins to happen? Something in you begins to just rise up. (laughs) Something begins to rise up and we begin to rebuild our lives. And that's the picture. You need to see yourself with Jesus right there, but you're working and you're doing the labor too. You're a part of it. You're not just sitting there going, Jesus, would you please bless me? I've been waiting for 10 years. You're in there. You're doing the work with Jesus, not in your strength because you didn't have any. You were given up. You were mourning. <laughs> you were in a prison, but now you've been set free. And these things that have been this way for year after year after year do not have to be this way anymore. I love this picture. And I want to be in this picture with Jesus. Because I have things in my life that have been destroyed that I want back. I know Jesus wants them back. And we can see. Can you see pictures in your mind right now of things that sin has ruined? Maybe it's some relationships. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe your joy. Maybe your health. Maybe your purity. Maybe your mind. Do you see this? Anything in your life. Even things that have been that way for generations can be transformed and changed under the anointed, powerful working of you working with Jesus. And here's the thing. When you start experiencing Jesus rebuilding and repairing and raising up new things of the Lord in your life, you want to reach over and help other people do it too. You do. You can't stand to see somebody else living in a ruined city. That's why we are involved in a mission like Living Light. (laughs) Because we can't stand to see these women living in these places that many of them have been desolate like this for generations. The girls that we talked to, many of them, their mothers were prostitutes and that's how they became prostitutes. 
Their fathers were drug users, and now they find that they are addicted and in prison just like their dad was. Their kids are now struggling with the same addictions that they did, and it's breaking their heart because even though they were bound up and captive, like any mama, they had a dream for their kids for better. And now the cycle is just continuing. They need to hear, they need to see this picture that these things can be changed. Even things that have been like this for many, many generations. Because under the anointed work of Jesus, anything can be repaired. And we need to have faith to see these pictures. Not just for ourselves, but for our sisters around us who are in such darkness. They will never see the picture unless we have the living light bring it to them. I could go on that all night. So let's keep going. Verse five, it says, and strangers will stand and pasture your flocks and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. Now these are getting, these pictures are getting more and more uh, relative to the culture at that time. So we're going to have to let the Lord render these images. And I'm just sharing with you what the spirit has been speaking to me as I've been meditating on this passage and how I think he wants us to study it and look at it tonight. But for the people of this time, the labor of the day was basically either being a farmer or a shepherd or, you know, having a vineyard, right? But now Jesus is saying to them now that he has come in his anointing and things are starting to be rebuilt. Jesus looks at them and he's saying, a stranger's going to stand and pasture your flocks. Like you're not even going to know who he is. (laughs) A foreigner's going to come in and he's going to be your farmer and he's going to be your vine dresser. What, what is that picture that we're supposed to be seeing here? I believe that Jesus is saying the striving of labor is over. You don't have to strive and control everything. In Christ's power, he's going to provide for you sometimes in ways that you go, where did that come from? I I, I don't even know that person. I I don't even know how God did that. Have you ever said that before? How did that happen? I, I don't know. We've all experienced some of those things. And the more we work with Jesus and the more we're involved in this anointing that he, he calls us to, to live in and to, and to see ourselves in these pictures, we begin to experience things like that all the time because he's providing for us. He takes care of everything. He doesn't want us striving. doesn't mean we sit on the couch all day, but we don't have that striving in our spirit. We trust him to bring in whoever he needs to be used in our lives, sometimes angels unaware that we don't even see, right? It's not just people, but all kinds of ways that God in his wisdom and sovereignty can provide for us. Read verse six with me. It says, but you will be called priest of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. As Jesus comes in and does this work, even more pictures come into focus. See, now that our lives are being repaired in Jesus, we got to be very careful. Always should be careful never to let the identities that this world tries to show us or picture us in, define us. This picture tells us clearly, you're going to be called a priest. You're going to be called a minister of God. You might have been a sinner with a bunch of mourning and a broken heart and a prison and under all these devastations, but that's not who you are anymore. The power of the anointing on Jesus is ministering in your life and rebuilding your life and raising you up to something great. And not just something, but the very high calling of being a priest, of being a minister to God himself. And we need to understand this is not a picture for your pastor or for somebody like me who does ministry full time. This is for all of us. God is speaking. This was in his mind when he came to die on the cross for you, that you would understand your identity is that you are a priest And you are a minister to God. And just like God has always done, since he initiated the priesthood way back in the Old Testament, he provides for his priesthood. And that's what it says in the second half of the verse, this next picture. He says, you will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. What's the picture? God provides for his priest in abundant ways. See, he owns it all. And as his priest, he's going to feed you with the best of the best of the best. Now, what we often do is reduce this image. We don't render it correctly, I believe, because we try to render this image in ways that are earthly and temporal things. Oh, the wealth of nations. That means I get to live in a, like a really fancy house and drive the best car that has all the bells and whistles. And I get to wear expensive clothes because I'm, I'm a priest of the Lord. Now the Lord may give you some of those things. 
But I believe what God is talking about goes way beyond the temporal and the earthly, beyond what we can even describe. I want to show you a picture that I came across yesterday as I was looking through the pictures of Haiti. This lady's name is Eva, and she is the pastor's wife. They stayed in her home, um, and she took care of our team and cooked for them. In the first picture, she's actually shaking some beans, okay? And I asked my husband, I said, what is she doing? And he said, she's shaking some beans. And, and I, I said, well, what is, what is that? I saw the, you know, outside. I said, where is she? He said, that's her kitchen. Now, when my husband was in Haiti, we have one TV in our house, and most of the time our TV is on sports. So when he's gone, I get to watch what I want. And I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I do watch TV, I like to watch HGTV. And those things like Love It or Listed or, you know, House Hunters, those kinds of things. Because I'm just really interested in looking in people's houses, but you can't just walk in people's houses. Oh, let me look at your house. But you can do that if you're watching a show. And what I find is the most important thing that people want in a kitchen, even my son said to me the other day, they all want the same thing. They want granite countertops and stainless steel appliances and an open concept. He said, Mom, have you ever had any of them say that they don't want an open concept kitchen? They all want that. And I said, you've been listening, bud. You know, maybe we've had this on too much. But I've had this on the brain, maybe. I've had this on the brain. Granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, listening to people say, I can't be happy unless I have that. And then that's her kitchen. And you know what my husband said to me about Eva? He said, look at her face. Doesn't she have the joy of the Lord all over her? He said, and she does. And I looked at her kitchen. And I thought, there isn't a countertop there. There's a mound of dirt with a couple pots on it. See, I think we don't render the picture. Now, I'm not saying God's going to give you a kitchen like this. It is open concept. Now, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's going to give you a kitchen like that. But I think we need to let God render this picture the way he wants to render it. That we're going to be sitting at the banquet table of the Lord. We're going to be eating things we can't even describe. We're going to eat the wealth of nations. And this might be nations as well that we can't even see on this earth, Okay kingdom heavenly nation things that he wants to do in us that will produce a joy on our face like eva whether or not we have the granite countertops or we're in a place like this it makes me think of ephesians 3 19 through 20 and my god will do immeasurably more than all we can ask think or even imagine and he does. Look at the next picture in verse 7. It just gets better and better, these pictures. It says, instead of your shame, you're going to have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. Now, I'll be honest. When I first read this, the, the previous English teacher in me was like, whoa. They're like switching all over the place with person tense. I don't get this. But I did some research, and don't let this throw you. Because it did me. But I found out that Isaiah does that a lot in his writings. And he's usually just referring to the same person. So he's really, he says you and he says they, but he's really just referring to the same persons here. But this is like an amazing picture. This is a picture of Jesus and us that we should put in a frame, put it by our bedside so that we see it every morning and wake up to it, uh, wake up to it every morning and see it every night before we go to bed. Because this is the picture. If you could just see this in your mind, you have your shame and you've just handed it to Jesus. And now Jesus has loaded you down in both your hands with a double portion that you can't even hold. That's the picture. And we need to see that's what he came to do in our lives. We don't even deserve one portion. <laughs> we gave him our shame. And he gives us the double portion of blessing. Now, this is what I personally believe this double portion is. There's a lot of theories out there. I believe the first portion is that he gives us forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin. Because it says instead of our shame, you'll have a double portion. The first part is we give him our shame, he gives us forgiveness. But the second portion, I believe, is freedom from sin. In other words, not only am I forgiven of that sin, but that sin no longer controls me. I don't, I don't have to bow to this sin anymore. I don't have to live under it and serve it. But see, a lot of people only take the single blessing. So the picture's not rendering correctly. Because Jesus has your shame, but you're standing there with one hand with a blessing and one hand has nothing in it. But that's not this picture. 
This picture is a double blessing. I think a lot of times the reason it doesn't render correctly is some of us, we just don't believe that God really can give us freedom from our sin. We believe he can give us forgiveness of sin, but we don't really believe he can give us freedom from sin. So there's unbelief in our heart. So we're not rendering the picture correctly. Or maybe we just had some wrong teaching, or maybe our fleshly desires just are not allowing us to render this correctly. But there are two portions in this picture. And you might have to talk to the Lord about this picture for a while and say, God, why am I not holding two portions? Why, why am I only holding one? Or why do I keep dropping the other portion that you gave me when you want me to hold on to these portions that you've given me? See, he takes away the shame when he forgives my sin. It's not on my record anymore. But what does it say? It says, I shout for joy when he takes away the humiliation of my sin. When he puts that second portion in my hand. When I don't have to be humbled to a place of servitude. I'm not humiliated anymore. I'm not humiliated by serving sin. When I embrace the double portion, then what does it say happens? Everlasting joy is mine. Do you see that in the picture? Such a beautiful, happy picture of what God wants us to have. And that's, that's one of the best pictures that we can carry into jails and strip clubs and any other dark place where God allows any of us to go in and share the good news of the gospel. Because a lot of people can grab a hold of the first portion. Yeah, Jesus died to forgive my sins. It's that second portion that we have a hard time holding on to. And, and so many that are in dark places need to hear and to see that picture of that portion. We all need to be reminded of that all the time as we live in this broken world of sin that is constantly trying to make us its captive and its prisoner. Now the next verse, verse 8, another picture. For I, the Lord, love justice. This is a picture of God just smiling. Just picture God smiling when things are right. When things are right. When they're made right. And we need to see this clearly. We need to know in our minds ladies, that God loves justice. Because a lot of times we render this picture wrong when we see things happening in the world that seem so unjust. We blame God for those things. Or we think God's just turning his head and, and doesn't even care. But do you see all these other pictures? God cares. He obviously cares. If he's doing all of this to make things right, he sent his son and his son took our shame. His son sacrificed himself because God loves justice. That's the picture here. But then he says another, there's another picture here. He says, I hate robbery in the burnt offering. Now that, that picture kind of seems to come out of nowhere and your brain might be going, I don't know what I'm supposed to be picturing here. Okay, let, let me help you just a little bit. I mean, we could take a long time to bring this picture into focus, but I'm going to do it just briefly right now. There were four kinds of offerings in the Old Testament. And if you study those offerings, each one of those offerings really represented one of the works of Christ here on the earth. Because who is the offering? Christ himself. And so all of these offerings, all four of them, represent part of the work that Jesus came to do. It's fascinating to study these things. Well, the burnt offering actually represents Christ coming to do the will of God. God sent Jesus to do his will, the burnt offering, because God does love justice. This, this picture doesn't come out of anywhere, okay? It's God says, I love justice, and then he says, I hate robbery in the burnt offering. If you go back to verse 1, that picture we saw, God's spirit was anointing Jesus to come, to do a work. Okay, so here's Jesus, our burnt offering, coming and doing all of this work among us that we're seeing in these pictures. And God hates it when he looks down from heaven and he sees the enemy robbing that offering. Because we're not holding the double blessing. We're only holding part of that blessing or anything else that we're supposed to be experiencing here. And we're not because the enemy's trying to take it away. <laughs> When the justice God sent Jesus to bring is not fully experienced by his believers, God hates it. And so this is a picture of God grieving, grieving over how the enemy robs what he sent Jesus to do. But God steps in and we see more pictures because he says, I will faithfully give them their recompense. That's reward. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. See, this is a picture of God saying, even if he's robbing, I still have the upper hand over Satan. 
This is God is saying to us, Satan may try to rob what Jesus came to do in your life. And probably every one of us have a story of how Jesus um, or how the enemy has come into our life and robbed us of the work that Jesus was sent to do in our life. I have tons of those stories. But God is saying, I will continue to work in truth and in faithfulness through my son. I'm going to keep doing an everlasting work among you. This is a picture, ladies, of God's faithfulness to us. He has the upper hand over Satan. And we need to see this picture. And we need to see anything where we're struggling and it feels like the enemy's robbing us. We need to see God's hand over top of Satan to say, no, that's not the way it is. I'm going to faithfully deal with this situation through my son and through truth okay now verse 9 more pictures says then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples all who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the lord loves you know those pictures that we've probably all if you have kids have taken and it's where you're with your kids and you're just so proud of them or something they've done it's like your whole family like "Ah," you know we love those pictures right this is a picture of god showing off his kids he's just showing his kids off Showing him off. Showing off all the ways he's poured out into his children. I remember when we first started our Living Light mission. And back then, our jail friends ministry was a little bit different. We would actually go on Friday nights down into the jail. They have visitation then. And there were about six of us. And we each had a jail friend. And we would sit in the waiting room. And we would wait to visit in a cubicle uh, with, with our jail friends so we could talk um, to them, find out what's going on in their hearts, their minds, pray with them. We would bring our Bibles. We'd do Bible studies. It was really sweet, sweet times. But you never knew how long you're going to have to wait in the waiting room because there was only a handful of, of cubicles. And one of the cubicles didn't have a chair, so you're always praying that, oh, please don't let me get that one, you know. But you'd, you'd have to sit out in the waiting room for a while. And we had some really interesting conversations and saw some really interesting things in the waiting room. But I'll never forget this one night. This guy looked at us and he said, We all know you're the church ladies. And I looked back at him, you know, and I said, well, how do you know that? He said, you just are. And I said, yeah, but but how do you know? And he said, I I just know. You, You just are. There's just something about you. What does it say? All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. How many people want their picture taken with a celebrity? How much better to have your picture taken with God? Because God is saying, hey, this, this one's mine. This one is mine. She belongs to me. Now read verse 10. And we're going to find that, that the voice is going to shift here. It's not going to be Jesus speaking anymore. This is actually going to be one of the people who's in the pictures with Jesus here. Okay? And, and they say, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. See, this is a picture of worship. Think of all the pictures that we've looked at tonight. All that we receive from Christ when he comes. And you just have to worship, right? I hope that you're in this picture. I hope that this is me in this picture. A grateful worshiper for all that God has come to do. And in this next picture, the worshiper expresses one of the reasons to worship. And they say this. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Are you picturing this? He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Jesus comes, and he literally wraps his salvation and his righteousness around us. He puts it on us. I want you to look around the room tonight, because God has given us a portrait, okay? Many of us are wearing white. And I think the Lord wanted to paint a huge picture of this for us tonight. I think he wanted to single this one out the most. That Christ has put his righteousness upon us. It's not what we've done. It's what he's done. And we literally wear and are wrapped in his righteousness. Now, I want to tell you how this whiteout happened. I really believe God was singling out this picture, like I said. Now, I I love doing creative things. You know, some people don't enjoy that. I really do. And so for a long time, you know, I could throw my creativity at events like this and say, hey, you know, hey, we could try this and we could do this and, and all that kind of thing. But probably for the last few years, I have learned to wait on the Lord beyond my creative burst, okay? 
And sometimes that's hard to do because God doesn't always talk to me or tell me the ideas as soon as I would like to know those things, all right? But let me tell you about what we're calling tonight a whiteout, how this actually happened. So probably four or five weeks ago, I was at the gym. It's really early in the morning. I go to a weightlifting class sometimes. I skipped out today. But I, normally I will go pretty early in the morning twice a week. And so I was there. And, and I say that only to say my brain was literally asleep, as it usually is. I'm, I'm lifting the weights, but my brain is not even there. Not thinking about anything. And all of a sudden, God just puts this image in my mind out of nowhere. And, and it's literally what I'm looking at right now. Of us being in this room. I'm standing here in white. And everybody in the room is in white. Now, I had been asking the Lord, God, what are we going to do for these services? What, what do you have in mind? And he said to me in that moment, we're going to have a whiteout on the last night. And, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, that's like a really cool idea, God. I, I wouldn't have ever thought of that. I've seen that done at like sporting events, but I've never been to a worship gathering where everybody wore white. I think that's going to be re- really, really cool. But I was like, how's that going to fit with everything? Like, what are you going to do with that, God? Are we just going to all wear white and, and that's it? You know, uh, So I just began to wait on him to give us some more answers about that. Now, he didn't do that (laughs) for a long time. And and I was meditating and memorizing um, Isaiah 61. So I knew this verse was here, Isaiah 61.10, about the wrapping in a robe of righteousness. I figured it had something to do with that. But I was just waiting on the Lord. And last Tuesday night, literally, on the way here, I'm thinking about Psalm 32 because we're coming here to talk about Psalm 32, and in the 10-minute drive from my house to here, the Lord literally just downloaded this whole message in my mind. When I got in the parking lot, I pulled my phone out and talked into it as fast as I could so I wouldn't forget what he had said. But it all began to come clear to me, because I had not planned at all to teach this from a standpoint of pictures. And God began to show me, I had to tell you about that one early so that you could tell them or they wouldn't have known. (laughs) But the rest of this, I'm just giving it to you now. And this is what we're going to do, and God wants us to see. That not only has he wrapped me in righteousness, but he's wrapped my sisters beside me in righteousness. And I need to see them from that standpoint. I need to see myself from that standpoint. It's a beautiful sight to look around. I mean, when we first got here tonight and people are all coming in white, we said, wow, maybe this is going to be what it's like in heaven. Like we're all, all wearing white. It's kind of really cool looking. Now, I know that some of you, you don't have on white tonight. And I know you're probably just thinking, oh, oh, I wish you'd stop talking about this. But it's a beautiful thing, okay? And even you not wearing white, God has a picture that he wants to show us. And, and I want you to know this is his idea too because probably about a month ago, one of the people on our prayer team had come up to me and she said, I don't know what this is, but she said, the Lord is going to have us one night bringing some women up on the stage and we're going to be like putting um, clothing on them that's going to be the, the righteousness of God. And I was like, okay, we'll just pray into that and see what that's about. And even last Tuesday night as I sat in my car, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it, God. That's what you want to do. Now, some of you, maybe you didn't wear uh, white tonight because you really didn't know. <laughs> I mean, as hard as we tried to get that word out there, you just never heard anything about it. You were ignorant, not because you didn't want to know. You, you, you just didn't know. Some of you that don't have on white tonight, maybe you forgot, you, you knew, but you forgot, or you got distracted, or you were like, oh, I don't, I don't really have anything white to wear. Some of you, though, you were like, I know that's what they said. I don't want to wear white, and I'm not. You know? I don't know who's who, but, you know. I just want you to know this. I'm glad you stayed, even though you came in and you were like, why is everybody in white? And I'm, not, I'm not in white, Okay. But God has a picture for this. I'm going to ask, and I know this is a really brave thing to do, and, and I even asked our prayer words to pray that three people would be brave enough. I'm going to keep talking, but I need three of you who do not have on white, I need you to come up here and stand with me. So I'm just trusting that somebody's going to be brave. I need three women, okay? Woo! <laughs> yeah. Okay. So while they're coming, let me tell you this. Earlier this spring, one of our prayer warriors, like I said, told us that th- this was going to happen. But I had no idea what what it was going to look like. But then God began. Great. If you'll just come stand right up close in the front. Yeah. Um, I tell you what. One of you get here and how about two of you over here? Whichever. It doesn't matter. Okay. God wants to give us a picture. All right. On the days, even ladies, where you are not walking in his righteousness, just because you don't even know what it looks like. Okay. 
On those days, you, you don't even know what it looks like to walk in righteousness. You don't even know about it. He's still wrapping you. Okay? On the days when you do know, you're just so busy and you're so distracted and you look at your life and you think, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be doing that, but I really don't have anything to do that with. He's still wrapping you in his righteousness. And even more important, on the days when you know and you willfully say, I know that's what you want me to do, God, but I'm doing this today. God wraps you in his righteousness. All right? That's what he wants us to know. Thank you, guys. You're awesome. I appreciate you. You can have that. That can be your righteousness for tonight. You can keep it on. All right? God wants you to know. It's him who provides the garments of salvation. He's the one who wraps us in that robe. Is that picture rendering clearly for us? That we are made righteous in Christ. One more verse here. Another picture. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Now it seems to shift pictures here, and it does, but yet these are connected, these pictures. Because when he wraps us in his righteousness, it's like he's planting our lives in his righteousness. Like, his righteousness is the soil, and he plants our life. He covers us up. Do you, do you see that? Do you see that picture of him doing that? And then things begin to sprout, and they begin to bud, okay? He covers you, but then there's real stuff that starts happening in your life. And you begin getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you remember that picture that I told you you need to hold out from verse 3 of the oak of righteousness? Eventually... That's going to grow and grow and grow, and you're going to be this beautiful oak of righteousness. But it's not because of what you're doing. It's because God stepped into your life, and he rescued you out of all these places that we've been looking at these pictures, and he wraps you in that righteousness so that you can begin to grow in that righteousness, and then little things begin to sprout up in your life, and before long, you're growing tall and high. And you know what a great scripture to read along with that is Isaiah, I'm sorry, Psalm 1. Because it talks about how the word of God is what nourishes those plants so that we grow up to be that strong tree by that living stream of water. What a beautiful picture that is for us of what Jesus does. So many pictures. As we wind this down, and like I told you, it's a big photo album. We could, whew, lots to go through. But I want to I wanna take you over quickly to Luke chapter 4. Jesus is just beginning his ministry in Galilee. And one morning he goes into the synagogue and someone hands him the scroll of Isaiah. Out of all the prophecy in Isaiah, Jesus chooses to read what we have been reading tonight. He's just beginning his ministry. And Jesus begins reading. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives. And he didn't have to read it because he knew it. Because <laughs> he had already spoken this word. And then he laid it down and he looked at all the people who were people that he knew because he had grown up around these people. This was his hometown. And he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See, they had heard this scripture many times. They knew it was of their Messiah. But you know what they started to say to him? That's not who you are. They started showing him another picture. They said, you're Joseph's son. That's not you. And they got so enraged in the conversation that they literally tried to throw Jesus down a cliff. But the Bible says Jesus walked through them and went his way. And do you know what his way was? Going into all these other cities and making these pictures come alive for people. He healed. He delivered. He, he set free. He built up. He brought salvation. He poured out blessing. How sad for the ones who wouldn't look at the pictures. They kept looking at a picture that wasn't even true, what they thought they knew, instead of seeing the pictures that God wanted to show them through Jesus. How amazing, though, for the ones who did embrace those pictures. And the Gospels are literally full of these living pictures coming to life. And Jesus wants this room tonight to be full of these living pictures of these things in our lives, where we see ourselves in all these pictures. So with that in mind, ladies, we're going to enter into a time of prayer. And we just want to ask this question as, as we do. Do you see? Because you should see yourself 
in all these pictures. I'm not going to take the time to talk through all of them again. We've looked at the pictures tonight, but are you living in these pictures? You should be living in these pictures. Have you ever looked at some pictures of an event that you were at and you're like not in any of the pictures? And you're like, I was there. And kind of this longing in your heart's like, why am I not in any of the pictures? I hope that that's the longing in your heart tonight. Like, I'm supposed to be in these pictures. I'm supposed to be in all these pictures. I want to be in all these pictures. And I believe you do too. I'll be transparent with you and tell you, there's some of these pictures I don't see myself in. And so I talk to the Lord about these pictures. And I say, render them correctly in my mind. Help me to see clearly. Give me the eyes of the Spirit to see. You know, it's been said that a picture is worth a thousand words. So let's tonight, in this time of prayer, talk to the Lord about these pictures. We've got prayer warriors all around the room. You